0: Hi, this is Tina Black, and this is the B-Series Podcast. Today, we'll be exploring untold stories of transformation and leadership. We hope you'll subscribe and check out the B-Books and send us your stories of transformation after listening. Okay, so today is super, super special because I'm sitting here with my other business partner, Kaylee Ajay. I hope I said that right, Kaylee. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> I, we, we met at the John Maxwell team and found out that you were a hairdresser and a salon owner and got super excited when I met you. And of course, we became instant friends. And you hung out at our John Maxwell booth, Paul Mitchell booth, where we do hair and makeup and helping us and you're such a servant's heart and just getting to know you. And then of course, starting our brand new business where we're training salon leaders and salon owners with our online masterminds and just so so timely and just hearing you speak Kaylee I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt I had to have you on this podcast because I mean what a powerhouse you are and just a plethora of knowledge I could honestly just sit back and just let you just talk for a full hour of course because you just have so much information but thank you so much for being on today. Oh, thank you, Tina, for having me. And I was so happy
1: to meet you at John Maxwell. I shared that story before of how, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, someone who's a little bit forward ahead of me, I can learn from. And I've learned <laughs> so much from you. And, you know, a lot of my stories do come from um, those experiences and having you as a mentor um, that helped me got through a lot of the, the stories that I'll probably share today. <laughs>
0: Yes. Oh, that's so awesome. And I love uh, teaching with you side by side and hearing, cause I, I learn so much from you every time you speak as well too. And then hearing you on the salon owner mastermind, it was like, oh my gosh, I have to be around this woman more because you know so much about this industry. And I want to share with you. So Kaylee Auger, she um, is actually was a salon owner for about 10 years. And so I want to hear that story about uh, why, you got out of the salon business and she has had over 25 years of experience in the beauty industry as an award-winning stylist business and success trainer certified john maxwell team trainer and coach she's a l'oreal professional business trainer and coach alumina spark certified trainer a course creator and leader with inspiring champions. I love inspiring champions, by the way. No no wonder why you're so smart. You're writing all the (laughs) curriculum for them. A winner of Canada's best beauty talent, international platform artist and educator. Most importantly, I love that you said most importantly. Kaylee's a wife and mother of two beauties. And of course, I'm looking at your home that you're staying at during quarantine still. Quarantine's still <laughs> happening for you, right? You're in Canada. Yeah, yeah, we are. A few more weeks. Vancouver, correct? Yeah, that's right.
1: Um I'm just going to go back and be, to Inspiring Champions. I only wrote one course. So, I don't want to take oh I'm it Oh my gosh. i am Lauren.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, Lauren Garland. <laughs> she's, what, yeah. A, she's, a she's a powerhouse. She's a powerhouse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, hello, but I can totally see how you guys hooked up and yeah. when I met her and did her course and she invited some salon owners that I coach and work with and some of my graduates to take her course, it turned turned their companies around. Turn yes. their salons around. And I know you're doing that now. So tell us your journey of uh, how you got to where you are today. Wow. Okay. I'll, um, I'll give you some of the highs and the lows, and
1: you interject when you want me to take a different direction. Absolutely. Um, so I started back skipping high school to go wash hair at a hair salon uh, for, I think like $4 an hour. (laughs) Wow. In high school? In high school. Yeah. So while my mom thought I was at school, I was at the salon. (laughs) Are you serious? Now what propelled you to go to a salon to wash hair? You know what it was? It was the, I don't know if you remember these Linda Evangelista photos and she had a bob in three different colors. And I was like obsessed with getting my hair to do that and like see the curls, like that is not a hairstyle that my hair does easily.
0: Oh my <laughs> So gosh. I was just
1: hanging out at the hair salon a lot, trying to get this bob from Linda Evangelista and my hairdresser said, why don't you just come work here? <laughs>
0: Oh my goodness.
1: And he's like, you don't need to finish school. You don't need to finish school to be a hairdresser. And I was like, oh, I need to at least finish, but I can come, you know, during these classes, they're not important to me. <laughs> yes. And so I'd leave school and go wash hair and shadow them. And he was training me. A lot of the time I just spent on the mannequin training. Um, so it was a really good experience. And then one day I showed up and there was a out of business sign on the door and, uh, he was, he had vanished. And so I had no more job.
0: <laughs> he
1: vanished. And then I went into the mall that was just beside it and started handing out my resume. Cause I really liked working more than I liked studying. And, um, I didn't necessarily, I wasn't necessarily looking for a hair job, but that was the only experience I had on my resume. So I handed out a resume to pretty much every business in the mall and I got one call back and it was a salon uh, in Metro town with Pasquale. And he gave me a job and I worked there after hours after school. He didn't have me skipping school to come in. <laughs> um, so I got to go teach haircutting in Thailand, which was so amazing with a, a translator and learn about the culture. I can't believe culture. you were in Thailand.
0: Tell a story about being in Thailand and oh how my long gosh. were you there for?
1: This, I went. I got to go twice. And the first time I was 21 and... Um, I got, yeah, picked up the airport with the sign. And in hindsight, I'm like, I don't <laughs> know this guy, nothing. Like it was just like one of these movies. It could have gone probably tragic, but it went really well. Um, and he took us under his wing. I took a girlfriend with me cause I was a little bit insecure of traveling alone. Um, actually it's a really funny story. I should go back a little bit because I had gone on a sabbatical from work to go travel Australia with my girlfriend Wow! And while I was there. So I didn't take any of my hair tools. And while I was there, I got this email from Sexy Hair saying, too bad you're on your sabbatical because we had this opportunity come up in Thailand. And I was like, what? I'm not on sabbatical anymore. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm closer to Thailand now than I was at home. Like, what are you talking about? Of course I'll go. And this is, I get the lesson here is like seizing opportunity because I think a lot of people would have turned it down because they weren't unprepared. I didn't have tools. I had nothing. So I went and... Went to the distributor in Australia, told them that I was a hairdresser, and I bought scissors, blow dryer, the basics that I would need to be able to teach a class. I just rebought them. And I also um, bought a thing of bleach because I had beach surfer hair because we were there to learn how to surf. And I <laughs> foiled my hair with toilet paper. <laughs> oh. No. That's awesome. I just a few fresh highlights in the front before I went to present myself. <laughs> and then my girlfriend and I hopped on a plane um, to get picked up by this person we had never met who would then take us around to salons and we would teach. And it was just an unbelievable experience. Um, the culture there was so grateful for the education. Um, I felt like when I would teach in Canada, I always had to win them over. And, you know, there'd be a little bit of edge, like what's she going to show us? What does she know that we don't, you know? And you'd have to like really work the audience to win them over. Um, But in Thailand, they were just so grateful. And I really felt like a movie star. Like they had me signing their their mannequin heads. I had to be careful how I complimented them because I complimented a a woman on her necklace and she took it off and put it around my neck. And (sighs) that's just the culture that they have. They're so generous. And at the same time, as we were visiting, um, part of their culture is to like feed you, be in community with you and show their gratitude. And so we tried all kinds of weird foods. And I remember this one salon gave me this bowl of soup and it had like chunks in it. And I said, Dan, what is this? And he's like, don't ask, just eat it. Cause it's rude not to eat it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I eating it? And turns out after it was like curdled, blood from some animal. It was disgusting, but I ate it because I was like, I'm not going to help anybody. (laughs) And you (laughs) live to tell about it. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love to tell about it. So it was just, you know, this, um, at that young age to be, see this other culture. Um, I got to see, you know, in Bangkok, it's just rough, right? Like, um, seeing the, people disfigured on the street, um, begging for money, hearing the stories from Dan about, you know, why they're there. Uh, I think that was just like a really pivotal uh, experience for me um, to see how people in different parts of the world live, but also experience like the joy of their culture and their food and all the amazing things that they do have to offer. Um, So I was lucky enough to go back five years later. They invited me back. And so I took the same girlfriend with me. And we got to kind of redo it all again, go visit some of the same salons. And yeah, and it just became a lifelong friend with Dan who hosted me there. Um, So it was just a wonderful, wonderful experience.
0: I love this. Okay, so we're gonna go back just for a second because we have, uh, Sean and I have a course, a six month course, it's called um, The Next Level Leadership Course. It's a six month course of five strategies of a healthy business. And we spent an entire month, Kaylee, just on attitude. In fact, we're in that month right now. (laughs) And it's perfect because we're getting ready to open up our salons again, you know, quarantine's almost over. And so it's really perfect because as we prepare our minds, you know, that mindset I think is super huge. And so that whole month, fixing your attitude. And so I put, I'm going to call this to be coachable. And I think it's amazing because you're a coach now and mm-hmm. you can't be a coach unless you first became coachable, which you yes. did. And you identified that at an early age, talk about a little bit right now. And we'll, we'll infiltrate this through the whole, you know, hour long that I'm with you. Uh, but how did you start to identify that you needed to fix your attitude?
1: Yeah, well, I think it's like, um, when you When you're a kid and you don't necessarily appreciate what your parents are doing for you until you until you become a parent, and then you're like, "Oh my gosh, it's that hard." and that's why they did things that way. So I wish I could tell you that I just had this realization early on and changed <laughs> it. But it really wasn't until I became a salon owner. Um, and like I still had the attitude, and I mean, I still probably have an attitude with some things, but um I've changed a lot. <laughs> And so you
0: didn't be change your attitude till you became a salon owner. So let's talk about that process because <laughs> why did you become a salon owner? And and I think this is reality here, Kaylee, and I think you're going to agree with me is many people it's own their own salon or own their own business because they're unemployable because a lot of them have bad attitudes and they're thinking (laughs) I can do this so much better than you can. So I'm going to go do it. And then we're like, I did the same thing. Trust me. And then I fell flat on my face and realized, are you kidding me right now? Tina, you need to go back and be coachable and be a follower and figure this thing out first you know, yeah. practice good fellowship. So talk a little bit about that and why you went into the salon business and all of that. Yeah, well, I,
1: I'd i say the exact same journey, right? Like I ended up, um, and I'm so, one thing I'm so grateful for is that um, relationships have been so important to me. And I, I got a hold of John Maxwell books in my early 20s. And those have been like pivotal to me as well. Like just learning lessons about um, winning with people and all of that, so as like the good girl with the attitude edge, right? Because like I did have these like deeper good intentions. I just had this edge on me, and um, so I was able to maintain. When I left the salon with Rosalind after six years, I moved back into the city, and I remember she told me in Kelowna you're a big fish in a small sea. In Vancouver you're a small fish in a big sea, and I remember being like. Oh, no, I'm a big fish in a big sea, you're gonna see like, Mm -hmm. and she said it to me, like in the most loving way. Um, And she probably knew that kind of what the challenge is what drives me. Um, So you know, those words really stuck with me. And I went into Vancouver to really fight my way to get recognition and be the best in my industry in a bigger city. Um, And I went into chair rental. And so that was when it was my first experience of kind of managing all the parts Um, and I did really love that. And I ended up renting a second chair and training my sister. And so I kind of got to grow into being an owner, but I still never imagined what was awaiting me (laughs) when I actually was an owner and actually was leading a bigger team. And I'm so thankful for all the times I did fall on my face. um, and all the times it wasn't as easy as I thought it should be because those are the things that really shaped me and allowed me to change and look at myself and go down this personal development journey um, because I wouldn't have had I not really been forced into it Um, so I wish it was more willingly that I did it but it was really of like oh my gosh I now have these like adults (laughs) to lead that don't necessarily want to follow me uh, because I bought the salon with some existing team members and some of them just Mm -hmm. weren't too on board with the changes I was making and you know, I was like, everything's for the better. Like, why wouldn't they just follow? And so I really had to, like, humble myself, um, come alongside them, think back to when I was in their shoes, you know, how I was feeling, and try to um, learn and grow and stretch from there. And so those were the things that I guess really, like, forced me to to change and start to lose the
0: attitude, <laughs> lose the attitude. I love it. I, I could call it lose your attitude, not fix your attitude. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> lose I, I put down good, the good girl with the attitude edge. That's, that's, that's you Kaylee. <laughs> that's really awesome. I love this because it's, oh my gosh, we have so much that we could share. So I want to just ask you real quick. So you had this salon with existing stylists. Did, did they stay? Did they walk out? I mean, every salon, I had two salons with existing stylists and they all left except for one in each. And both of them were my own graduates in my school, the ones that stayed. The rest mm-hmm. that weren't my graduates left. And I figured out after that, that I would only hire Paul Mitchell graduates from that point forward because oh, they yeah. uh, kind of own the culture and own what we have. There's kind of like that common denominator respect that we have for each other. So how did that work for you? Yeah, it was
1: interesting. We ended up, uh, no one left off the get-go, but the team did evolve over the year, next few years to come. um, And some of it was my doing and some of it was their doing. Um, But I'll tell you one of the funniest stories where I think kind of was the pivotal point of when I won them over. because I came in and I was just like young and ambitious and ready to make changes. And um, I had moved, they had a really huge lunch bar and a really small color bar. And I was like, why do I have such a big lunch bar? We're here to do hair and do business. So we need a bigger color bar and a smaller lunch bar. And then there was another process that they were writing on a paper, what they would charge on a sticky note. And then they put the sticky note on the desk. And I was like, we don't need to waste paper. We just put the number into this system and walk away. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: And so I had just made these, you know, small changes that I thought were more efficient and streamlined and good for the business. And I had this one team member who was a little bit older and she would not stop doing the sticky notes. And so it started to be like this war between us. Cause I'd be keep hide, I'd hide <laughs> the sticky notes. <laughs> Cause I'm like, you don't need to do the sticky notes anymore. <laughs> and she'd go in the cupboard and find where I hid them. And then she'd write it on her sticky note. And then she'd eat lunch at the color bar. And it was just like, oh my gosh, like, why are you like resisting? And she was just like resisting me basically. Right. And the changes. And so I was able through what I learned with John Maxwell, like with connecting with people and um, you know, just trying to understand her and where she was at. Um, I, I don't remember exactly what the, the day was that things switched, but literally it happened in a day when I won over her trust she came and she did the, she moved to the lunch table and she stopped using the sticky notes and she started doing things our way. And she's still there with the new, so she did 10 years with the first owner, 10 years with me, and now she's there with the people who took over oh my um, the salon. So that was just such a success story that, you know, she came around and, um, but it wasn't as, you know, it wasn't that easy. It was like a lot of work on my part to try to connect with her. Um, And I guess that's when I realized that, you know, they're not all just going to follow because I
0: think my idea is good. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. So good. Wow. Okay. There's so much we can unpack with this. I put down um, in order to be a great leader, you have to be coachable. So I put step one and kind of going back to the very first mentors that you really sought out. So I put number one, seek mentors that you really respect. I think- the number one challenge that I see in the industry with people and especially my graduates is that they don't choose jobs where they respect the leader or Mm -hmm. the leaders or the team. They just kind of choose jobs that seem kind of comfortable. And so, uh, because we always say practice the art of creative love, meaning love what you do, love who you do it with and love who you do it for, meaning that you respect them. What what's that untold story for you that you did that that you've chosen? You know, really great mentors that you respect, and so you become coachable. Because I think a lot of people that choose jobs, they don't pick people that they really respect. Yeah, I think um, at first, yeah, I totally agree with what
1: you're saying, and um, and it kind of goes in with like money comes later, right? And right. Mm -hmm. And that really worked for me because, um, I came from a family that didn't have money and I didn't really expect to make a lot of money. Um, and my first paycheck, I was like pretty thrilled with it, (laughs) with whatever it was, it wasn't Mm -hmm. that much money. Um, and so money never was my driving point. Um, I just wanted to be the best. And so Mm -hmm. I just needed to find that person that was going to help me be the best and, I didn't realize that they would teach me more than just technical. Right. And so that's, and I think after getting under such an, a brilliant mentor and she was just who I needed, right? Like she was just the perfect person for me at that time because she was strong. And so I watched so many people quit over the years because, um, They couldn't like she, they'd leave crying. Like, she was tough, and but she was perfect for me because she whipped me into shape. And, um, I'll give you an example I went out networking to give out, I was giving out like, um, coupons to try to build my clientele, and I had a few too many drinks because I was 20 years old, so I was drinking at that time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't do these (laughs) kind of things anymore, but, um, I had a few too many drinks and I slept in. For work, and I was pretty new. And I remember my dad waking me up because she had called to see where I was. And it was just humiliating, right? It was humiliating. And the stern look that she gave me, I decided that day that would never happen again. And I would never drink on a working day again. (laughs) (laughs) And you learned your I, lesson. And I just like, and I suffered that day at work. Like I really suffered that day at work. And she just several times like whipped me in the shape with, mm. you know, some of these bad habits that I had. Um, and she was just, you know, some people didn't like her approach, but it was a perfect approach for me um, to kind of, she just grew me up.
0: <laughs> like yeah. she just
1: took me from this like bratty, Teenagers, kind of teenager, still, and like really grew me up um, by kind of her ways of disciplining me. I would say, (laughs) Um, and so I guess it's so good that growth that I had just put it on my radar. Of that, if you want to learn something, you have to learn it from someone who's been there and walked your shoe, the shoes that you want to walk to, and you want to get there. And and so I started seeking out the mentors. And um, Michael O'Rourke from Sexy Hair was another huge mentor for me. Um, the way he ran his company. And, you know,
0: yeah, I I would attribute all my success to having these mentors. For sure. Kaylee, what I love about you and what I keep hearing is that you knew your identity so much like you believed in yourself, you thought highly of yourself. And that's what I love about you. Because I think people that don't feel highly of themselves are going to choose mentors that they don't respect. And I want to go back to, because we have uh, something that we call visionary leadership. And so the type of leader that you choose to be. And the interesting thing is, it's it's kind of like a law of human nature. And so really only about 20% of people are visionaries that think on a higher level like you. And I believe it's people that actually know who they really are. Um, and they think higher of themselves because they, and that's why they want to be the best. And then 30% are about, they're the, uh, or 50% are, uh, fence sitters. They don't really know which way to go. They're kind of those followers. They'll follow either negative or positive, whichever way they get up in bed, you know? And then the resistors are that 30%. And I just had the epiphany just now that those resistors are kind of that, the good girl with the attitude edge, but (laughs) they um, never, ever become coachable. And I see this so much in my schools, Kaylee, and with hairstylists. So the one, uh, the two salons that I had walk out, several of them just had that attitude edge. Like they thought they could be so much better and so much more and and I see a lot of them actually do life alone. They'll go into these salon suites and think they know better than everybody else because they really honestly they can't work with anybody because no one wants to work with them because they have such an attitude and, and a and not a humble spirit, you know. So what are your, what's your thoughts on that and with your experience with coaching? Yeah, I well there, this is, well, this could be a long
1: conversation. I know. We might <laughs> want to go
0: for 24
1: hours. I know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I honestly, I still haven't figured this out and I'm so torn between this new way of thinking that I love, which is, um, really nurturing people and helping them to grow and that old school authoritarian, like yes. do it my way. Right. Because, yes. I don't know. And there's like, uh, I think there's a movie like Whiplash um, where he's training the band, the music, and he's just so hard on the students. He's like so hard on them. And most of them quit and they hate music because of him. But that one shining star, it just becomes like the magician, right? Like, and my question always is, would that person have been, become that with the gentle forming that we try to do now. Yes. And I even question what with my kids, right? Because I'm trying to be this like nurturer and try to um raise up their, you know, natural skills and all of that. And so I always wonder like had Rosalind not been so hard on me, um, would I have been as refined? I don't know if I I don't know, like I think I needed that. So maybe it's just more of a match. Like maybe these Young um, good young people with this edge need that authoritarian to come in and show them what's up, <laughs> yeah, um, and maybe the person leading them is just not strong
0: enough to be their leader um, but yeah, I don't know what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree, and I think for the students that I see and the stylists that I see that aren't coachable, they just don't respect their leader, and again, you know, I constantly go back to. Uh, to my team and say you've got to respect your leader your number one job is to make your boss look good and you know yeah speak up to them and let them know when they suck you know they're not able to lead you in the way that you want to be led and I think it's your it's your job to let people know how you want to be led I've I've been so blessed to re- always respect my leader, you know? And so, but I don't think you can respect someone if you don't first respect yourself. So I think it just goes back to that too. And so then you're just gonna stay in that constant resistor mode. So yeah. that's why, you know, you and I, we talk about this all the time is the highest form of leadership is leading ourselves. Yes. And so discovering things about yourself and hiring a coach, hiring a counselor to kind of see, you know, those blind spots in you that you don't see. You know, your parents usually see them (laughs) if you have healthy parents, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, and I notice this is a question I always ask on interviews, you know, what's your relationship like with your parents? And the reason why I ask that is because I know if their relationship isn't good with their parents, eventually it's not going to be good with me. Mm -hmm. And so I know it's a red flag if they're like, you know what? I don't really like my mom. I don't like my dad. We don't get along. And normally 21 plus years being in business, that's what I've noticed. What's, what's been your um, observation with that, Kaylee? Well, now, now we're getting really raw,
1: Tina. Yeah, this is deep um, stuff.
0: Yeah. Like my mom
1: and I butt heads big time and Mm -hmm. uh, it's, she's always been a loving mother um, and we do have a relationship, but it's, it's a strenuous relationship. Um, So, and maybe what makes me unemployable too, you probably wouldn't want to hire me. So it's probably consistent with your theory. (laughs) I love it. But it's something that I'm always working on. Um, And, you know, I've written letters and tried to do counseling together with her and really um, trying to take the first steps and, and offer forgiveness, even when it's hard, um so yeah so I think it does line up with your theory but it doesn't mean you're not going to be successful or so for this past few years I've been working on like changing myself and a, a counselor actually told me um that you kind of arrived when you can just let them be them and not let it trigger you and I'm like no I just can't have that negativity around me I can't have these comments coming at me like No, like she has to change with me why do I have to do all the work by myself and um and then I was like I like that on paper I just don't know how it works because every time I'm just like so triggered and then this last time this was the first time that I walked away and I was like I wasn't triggered I wasn't triggered by her she hasn't changed um but I was able to just let her be and not react to it so um that was a huge step for me too and just kind of you know, working on bridging that relationship to something a lot healthier than it has been.
0: So powerful. I love that. And I think it just goes back to, you know, leadership starts at home, and it starts right there, you know, with our parents, whether they're alive or whether they're not alive. And I think it's just like figuring those things out. And, and I I really believe God gives us the parents that we're supposed to have. I believe he gives us the people in our lives that we're supposed to have to kind of refine us, you know, and to be refined, to become the best version of ourselves. And, and so I love that rawness that you that you said, and, and that's number nine, I put that as number nine. So I have to tell you what I came up with for being coachable. So the first one we already talked about, seeking mentors your respect i think that's key and uh, number two is i love how you really challenge your capacity because you want to be the best and i put number two challenge your capacity i've been talking about that a lot about uh this entire quarantine and being in quarantine and how to challenge your capacity what is it what's that untold story for you that you're always challenging your capacity to learn and and just you know your failure that you had that you talked about to me before in business and talk a little bit about that and how you challenge your capacity to learn more, to own that information. And I love that about you, Kaylee, because you don't stop. You're like, I'm going to figure this thing out. And so what's that untold story for you? It's called OCD. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go back to a couple of things you said
1: before I answer that, if that's okay. Yes, um, And one of them is that God has a sense of humor because one of my daughters is my mom. And so he's like, No, you quite didn't quite figure it out. So you're gonna like continue to figure this out. I love it. At home. And I'm like, seriously? (laughs) Because that one, you know, that one I I have to face. And now I'm in the reverse role. Um, and so and I think part of my journey to repair my relationship with my mom is seeing that, like, I can't outrun this, um, mm-hmm. and that I don't want to repeat it because often we repeat patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, what's given me the drive to, um, you know, go down this painful journey. And, um, and the other thing that you talked about that I just wanted to touch on was that 20% that are visionary yes, and leaders. And I always think about, um, somebody said this once and it really stuck with me and it was like Jesus had 12 disciples Mm
0: -hmm.
1: so what makes you think you can lead like more than 12 right and so it just makes sense that 20 percent, because that's about like the one to ten ratio and so again like God doesn't make mistakes right like he, your pla- If you are a visionary, you're a visionary for a reason. And there's like ten people out there that need you to lead them. And then those ten people are going to lead people, and that's where it multiplies. And your effects start to get multiplied. Um, so I really like that because I think as leaders, we're trying to take on the whole world. And I think if we can really put an impact into a smaller um, inner, I call it like my inner circle. Um, that's where you can like really have that reach and. And so I think if you're, so your question, so that kind of leads me into your question. Um, Can you say your question again of like what leads uh, or what is the driving point or what gets you? Yeah,
0: just the fact, I love that you said that I made that number 11, stop taking on the whole world. We'll talk about that (laughs) (laughs) because I see a lot of people that's doing that. And so I I love that, um, that you said that, but challenging your capacity, like what drives you to challenge your capacity to learn things that you don't know? And because a lot of times I just see people just sweep things under the rug, like, ah, eh, you know, this is what they say. They, they suck at stuff. So they say that they don't like it. So you might hear someone say, let's just talk about stylist. Oh, I don't like men's haircuts. Well, no, the reason why you don't like men's haircuts is because you suck. So you need to lean, lean, you know, learn how to cut men's hair. <laughs> So challenge your capacity, right? Yeah. And so for there's for a reason. And same thing as salon owners, they'll say, "Well, I just don't like numbers." No, it's not. Doesn't that you don't like them? It's just that you suck at it. So what you have to do is train your CPA to put it in your language. So you understand, cause guess who's paying you? You are paying your CPA, have yeah. them train you so that Thank you fall you. in love with numbers. Cause as yes. an owner, you should love numbers. So what's an untold story for you that you've challenged your capacity. And I love it. It's almost like the law of the lid. Like you, you keep pushing it and keep pushing it. So why and how?
1: Yeah. I had this talk with my sister. Cause my sister's kind of my opposite. Like she just wants to homeschool her kids and um, you know, have all huge family, stay home. She's not career oriented at all. And we, and I think it comes down to, it's just, it's my purpose. It's just in me. And um, like, I can't even explain where the drive comes from, but it's just, there's no alternative to it for me. Um, and like when I had my business and it was failing and my husband, um, had other ventures that were more profitable than mine and didn't really want me to do the salon. Like it wasn't for the money again. Like we didn't need necessarily the money from that business. Um, and I was just like, I, like, I can't not succeed. (laughs) like, I need to know Mm. how to make this work. And so I said, give me five years and I need to turn this thing around and like, that's just what I need. Cause he wanted to move to France. And so, and I was like, I need to like, I need to make it work. I need to. And so it's just this like deeper hmm. drive um, of like it. I just need to, to get there or go there. And
0: I don't even know if it's fully healthy or not. <laughs> I think it is. I, I really do. Because I think most people turn that off. They might even turn it off with medication And, and I've, I've seen people do that Kaylee and that is so amazing because I think we need to do a deeper dive of not turning that off. Cause I believe that's a God given trait that's given to every human being. And a lot of people just shrink their dream to what, what they can see that clear
1: path to instead of um, just going forward and figuring out the
0: steps as they go along that's good don't shrink your dream challenge your capacity that oh my gosh we could do so go so many different routes on this and i just love this so much and i think it just goes back to having when cuz i think we all live in that kind of like i can do this i can't do this i can do this i can't do this and i was talking to uh, our leadership teams that we have in our schools. And I said, sometimes like what I'll do is if I'm maybe having low self-esteem that day, or kind of not feeling my complete self that day, what I'll do is I'll listen to a podcast or I'll read a book or audible book. And I borrow the belief of the speaker. And then something will come into my mindset of, you know, you need to reach out to so-and-so and message them And, you know, whatever opportunity you might have with people, like kind of like what you did with Lauren Gartland. And I've had some experiences with JPMS and different people uh, working with them. And so I'll just, I I send the, I write the email and I just like send, click send. I mean, how many times have you done that? And you're just like, what if they say no? And I'm like, it's okay. Be rejected. It's okay if you're rejected because you're just going to find another angle but you've got to borrow the belief of people and talk a little bit about that, because I I know as human beings, we all have these limiting beliefs. I don't care who's listening to this right now. Trust me, you have your moments of limiting beliefs, right? That stop you from living your full capacity. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I, and you probably at the same time have those um, inflated false confident beliefs where you're like, I can do this and you're maybe not skilled or qualified for it, um, but you're still going to learn something along the way. And so mm. it makes me think of two stories. And one of them is I was in this um, group called EO and your, billion, your business has to be doing a million dollars to qualify to be in this group. And one of the exercises we did was we had to line up in order of our sales and it was just like a energizer. And I had, I was a million and six that year that qualified me to get into the group. I love it. <laughs> so I was like the little baby in the group. And then the sales went up from there. And it was, I, I had started my coaching journey and had a relationship with some of the people in there. And there was this post from one of the people saying he was looking for a coach and he was like, Ten times my me, right? But I was like, I think I know what he needs. And I think I could coach him. And so that was like my, you know, false um probably whatever you call it, like my high moment of like, yeah, I can do anything. Yeah. <laughs> and so I did email him and I had that exact feeling you described of like, click, okay, of like, I know you're looking for a coach. And I actually think I could be a good coach for you. Cause for me, coaching is like really drying out of the person what they already know. And I'm like, it might be a benefit to him that I don't know his business because I can just ask him smart questions. And anyway, he turned me down, which was fine.
0: And, you know, that's just a story to go with what you were saying of like, sometimes we're <laughs> reaching. And, yeah, yeah obviously- but you challenged your capacity, which I love. And I think we all need to do that. We need to reach out to people that we kind of know we're going to get a no. And I've done that. I do this so many times, but I'm like, okay, but I'm going to get ready. I'm going to get ready for them because there may come a time that they're ready for me. And so, you know, how many times have you turned in something? And I know, I remember even with John Maxwell team turning in our speech, and I got turned down, I didn't get chosen to speak on stage. But then and I kept saying, I'm just going to keep getting ready, keep getting ready. And I got ready for the next year, and I got chosen. And so I just I think it's like, just keep getting ready, because you never know, you know, when opportunity comes, it's too late to prepare. (laughs) Yeah, It's just that decision, right? It's Tina, I think that's what I'm hearing from you is like, for me,
1: I just decided, I'm like, yeah, you just decided you're going to speak on that stage.
0: Yes. Right. And no matter,
1: like for me, I just decided um, that sexy hair didn't align with me anymore. And I decided I was going to be a L'Oreal trainer. And so, and a lot of people would be like, oh, I don't know if L'Oreal would choose me. da And I had already made up my mind that I was going to be a L'Oreal trainer one way or the other. And then I started working my way in there. And usually it just happens faster than you think. Right. So I think if you have something on your heart and that's your purpose and your passion, the doors will open. And so one, no, it does not take that away. It's really having that strong vision or other doors will open that lead you in another direction. That's even better than what you thought.
0: Oh my gosh, all the time. I can't even begin to tell you how many times that's happened. So I put down a number three and I love the fact that you went to Thailand and you've experienced other cultures. So I put down number three, experience other cultures that we need to diversify ourselves. And I love that you do that. How, how often have you seen people kind of just stay in their own little bubble? Right. And so talk to people right now that why they need to diversify themselves and experience other cultures. I've been on so many mission trips. And then, of course, with John Maxwell, I've been to Guatemala and Costa Rica. And you're right. It's they it's all about food. <laughs> you have to eat their food in America. It's like just eat whatever you want. You know, it's a whole <laughs> different story. And I'm sure Canada is the same as America. Yeah. But yeah. talk about why people should experience other cultures and how they can go about doing that. Yeah.
1: Well, Tom Corley did a study on the differences between successful people and unsuccessful people or people living in the poverty line. And what he noticed was consistently the wealthy group was more open-minded and that's what traveling does. It just opens your mind and it just shows you that your right way is not the only right way um, that just people, that it's okay. Like people just do things differently and they're okay. Um, and if I would have just hung on to a lot of my beliefs, like my family was very, um, strict about what we eat and like very extreme health, you know, they're just into health, which is awesome. I love it. Um, but then like I shared with you earlier, there's some quarreling going on in there. And so just being parts of other families where they're eating a muffin for dinner but there's joy. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, I don't actually need to be so stressed out about over what I eat. Like I do want to make healthy choices and I do want to be healthy, but maybe I don't need to take it to the same extreme that my parents do. Right. Maybe I have room for other things Mm -hmm. and travel. And I think um, a lot of people, again, they're like, I'll be happy when I get Mm. here. Right. And even, um, I don't want to throw my mom under the bus, but like, just, I I feel that that's always been her as like, you know, when I get that bigger house or when I get this, um, you know, that will bring my happiness. And that's one thing, you know, I was just as happy. And I think that's what traveling did for me is in Australia with my backpack for three months, I was so happy and I only had a backpack and I realized, and my friend and I on that trip, we said home is where the backpack is.
0: yeah because wherever
1: we'd leave our backpack for the day that was mm-hmm. our home at the time and so I guess the traveling this really like disconnects you from this box that you think is life and um, you see how other people live and it just fills you with gratitude and mm. I lived when I left um, Kelowna to come back to the big city I lived in my friend's family's basement suite in a bedroom with no windows. Now you can see I like windows <laughs> now that I'm in my dream house. Beautiful. Um, and, but I was so happy there too. Like I loved living there because this family, I learned so much from this family and I was an early bird and the dad was an early bird and we would sit and have breakfast together and I'd get his time just for myself. He had three daughters and so, and then I'd come home from work and one of the daughters who's younger than me would be like working on a project and I'd be like, if I was alone, I would have been tired and not done anything, but she, you know, gave me some energy to do something. And so like every move, then I moved to an apartment and I was like, oh my gosh, I left the best place in the world in my basement with no windows. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was like, now I'm here all alone. And then I walked out and walked to the beach and I was like, oh, this is amazing. <laughs> mm. And I just feel like every time there's just been this sense of like, I have everything I need and I'm growing to overflow onto others. I'm growing. It's almost a game to like reach the next level. Um, But I'm not growing because I think that there's something on the other side that I don't already have.
0: Yeah, no, that's so good. I love it. Yeah. I changed it to be open-minded travel, do mission trips. I have a dream that in my salons, we have three now, uh, we're going to open our fourth one soon. But um, in my slides, said, every single person does a mission trip. And we sent uh, three of them, went to Nepal to train women caught in sex trafficking, the business of doing hair, which was so cool. But that's my secret dream is to make sure that my whole team gets plugged in because I want them to experience other cultures. I want them to have more gratitude of where they're at. And you're right. It, and that's what's happened with me. And I want to make sure my grandkids, I want to fund them on mission trips. As well, too, because that's kind of part of my story, too, of where my transformation come. And then number four, I love that you talked about relationships and being connected, and, and you talked so much about that because relation. I put relationships are pivotal, pivotable, and you have to. They're so important uh, to build relationships. And when was that that you discovered that? And talk to someone right now that's kind of like I just want to do life alone. I want to isolate. And I think right now the isolation is a real thing. Um, and I, I hate to see that because I believe just like John Maxwell says that one is too small a number to achieve greatness. And when he said that, I was like, and I want to live a life of significance and I don't want to be, I want to be a business owner, not a solopreneur. Talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, we we're built to need relationships and that doesn't mean you have to be a people person. And in the personality um, teachings that we do, um, an introvert means you're energized by your own inner world. And an extrovert is you're energized by people around you. And so first of all, it's a lot of this um, leading yourself is knowing yourself, right? John Maxwell says that all the time. And there's so many fun assessments you can do online to get to know yourself better um, the strikes finder, you know, these personality assessments, I've done so many of them trying to get to know myself. Um, and I am a through and through extrovert. And, and when you put that margin in for the relationships, those people lift you up further than you could have gone on your own. So you don't need to have those blinders. Mm-hmm. Like I literally have these blinders like, no, don't throw out my schedule. My schedule is perfect. <laughs>
0: wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You'll definitely go further faster. Let's talk about number five. I put down uh be confident, but humble. And, and the, something that I love about you, Kaylee is that you are so confident, but you have to be humble because you have to be cold, you know, coachable as well too. And so we actually talk about in our salons, what do we hire? We hire if you're humble and you're hungry and you're smart. So meaning self-smart, like, you know, your strengths, you know, your weaknesses, right? What's humility mean to you? I think it comes down
1: to like the bigger picture really like the bigger picture of like why we're here and what good what we're doing why we're doing what we're doing um and I think that's where like the happiness factor comes in is when we're like of service to others so I guess humility would be like part of that driving force of like why we do what we do um it's not necessarily to have the bigger house or the cars or whatever it's to like how can I like bring somebody else up to that level and how can somebody else pull me up? And so the humility part would be like allowing somebody to pull you up. Yes. Uh, And then, Oh my gosh. And then the confidence part would be like being able to pull somebody else up.
0: Yeah. That's so good. And I think, uh, I changed it to be decisive, but teachable too. (laughs) (laughs) That would be another word for uh, being confident and being humble, because I love the fact that you said that, because I think as a leader, people want to be led, so lead. And I watch too many wishy-washy leaders that are just like trying to be their friend and trying to be a people pleaser instead of a people challenger. And so challenged people challenge people. So you've got to first be challenged and you have to grow. It's, it's, you know, again, it's that law of the lid. You've got to challenge yourself because people aren't going to work for you if they're better than you. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So kind of working through that process that I think is so big and and that's the part of the vulnerability and transparency. And then number six, I put, um, and I love that you're so grateful for your failures. And I've said, um, this so many times is that failure is my friend. And I think most people don't make failure their friend. And there was actually a long period of time. I didn't make failure, my friend. And it was finally, I woke up and, and then I just had that gratitude because I don't think things happen to you I think they happen through you for other people. So Mm -hmm. any failure that you have, it's because you were supposed to teach somebody that. And I think just relationships alone, and you're talking about your daughter and your mom, and I don't think it happens to you. It's happening through you for other people. And I keep continuing to say to people, listen, whatever challenges you're going through, for whatever reason, somehow, some way, God's gonna use you to help somebody through that process. And so you just have to get through that And And maybe, and maybe to help yourself too. (laughs) Yes. Yes, absolutely. So talk a minute about that, about embracing your failures. We say in our business, and I, I have a, a leader, she was really struggling, failing, and also being honest about her failure. So she would just try to hide them because she was a perfectionist, you know, so to speak. And so I would say, okay, so in your daily download emails, I want you to uh, put down a tagline failure party. So what did you fail at? And let's have a party. And let's <laughs> celebrate that failure. And well, then she started to come to and started to share those with me. And so, how did you start having your failure parties, and how do you coach people through that process? Um, I think it's
1: overcoming the embarrassment feeling. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah. How do you know. overcome the embarrassment? How do you do You just that? get embarrassed enough times
0: and realize that you're still alive the next day? <laughs> yeah. Like learn to laugh at yourself. I, yeah. just, I laugh at myself all the time. My husband always says, he says, I really, um, I really respect that in you. Cause he has a hard time laughing at himself. And, and so he he really likes that. I do that. My first webinar
1: Um, was a really early morning one and I had to get my kids out to school. And so I had no makeup on, no hair done. And I threw a ski sweater on because I was supposed to have the camera off, but because I didn't know how to work the whole system, I had the camera on and even worse than just having it on. I had it on without knowing it was on. So I'm reading my notes, probably making, you know, not being aware of what my face is doing, And when I shut the webinar off, I just saw myself looking back at me. And that's when I realized that the camera was on the whole time. And one of the students was like, did you mean to have the camera on today? And I was like, nope, not at all. And just had that like sinking, embarrassing moment again. And that's where, you know, learning to laugh at it and just be like, I'm still here. Like, it's, it's really like a moment that lasts for like a minute, right? Like you feel this like hotness through your body and this Uh like sinking.
0: (laughs) feeling. <laughs> I've had that hotness many times. <laughs> and
1: then it just goes away. And so I think just like realizing that it goes away and actually like letting your body feel it and getting used to the feeling allows you to, you know, even still, I get scared when I like maybe like do a live with my opinion on something that's a little bit sensitive. And I'm like dreading waking up in the morning to see like a bunch of haters <laughs> saying like they didn't like my post or something. And so you're, it is like you hit click and you're like, Oh, was that like a good move or a bad move? And then you're like sweating, Uh but you know, whether they're haters or not, or whatever they are, like you're, you're still going to live your life. And those people don't like really determine your life anyway. Um, so I think it's like building up resilience to that feeling, that awful feeling,
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's how you build up your resilience. I I love it. It's almost like when you talk about the heat, it's almost like that shock. You need that shock, you know, in your body to be able to propel yourself to go upwards again, you know, again, challenging your uh, capacity and the law of the lid, I think is so important. And this is why we're talking about you have to be coachable and ways to be coachable. And I put number seven uh, to learn how to lead and empower people instead of micromanaging them. So don't be a tell leader. Yes. <laughs> and I love what you said earlier that the answer is within. And so it's kind of just drawing it out of people and learning that's the art of drawing things out because people know the answer. They just need those good, great questions to help draw that out. And that's why you're such a great coach. And so talk about maybe a bad habit that you had as a salon owner that you that you coach salon owners with like some of the biggest habits. And how do they get rid of that bad habit, so to speak.
1: Okay. Um, So this is kind of going back to something that we talked about earlier too, is like, why did I become a salon owner? And I became a salon owner, obviously, because I thought I could do it better than my boss. (laughs) And, you know, obviously, because of all the different things that I was going to do. And what I didn't take from my boss was that um, ability to like correct and mentor people. Um, because I wanted to make everybody happy. But-
0: this is really powerful. These are bad habits. I agree. And so number 10, I put, stop taking on the whole world because we talked about that earlier. And I think we all tend to kind of do that. We want to make an impact, but just make an impact with your small circle. And we talked about that 20% are visionaries and have an inner circle, a dynamic inner circle of people. Yes. <laughs> Lastly, because we talked about this, do constant personality assessments because i think that helps us to stay in our zone of genius too because i think so many people are not working in their strengths zone i think as human beings we're always thinking where am i bad at so they're always focused on the negative part of them like this is what's bad about me so and it's like you're just spinning your wheels on stupid stuff years ago i figured that out and realized tina Stay in your strength zone because you gotta know yourself to grow yourself. So my first coaches they kept giving me personality assessments and I'm like, how many personality assessments are you gonna give me? Like I was I, now I, I do this for a living. I do the <laughs> personality assessments, right? So Kaylee, you're an incredible coach. How do people hire you? What's the best way to get a hold of you? Um, well, my email success at and-, and spell that.
1: Uh, so success, how do you spell success? S-U-C-C-E-S-S. <laughs> I'm always like, I shouldn't have picked that email because <laughs> so, uh-huh. so many repeat letters <laughs> and then yes. at C-A-Y-L-E-E-A-U-G-E.com. And, um, the best way to get into kind of my world and my fold is e- through one of my group trainings. So the Salon Profit Project, the leadership group uh, mastermind that I'm doing with you, Tina, Um, and once I really like to get to know you in a group setting, um, before we go into the one-on-one coaching, I have a really limited amount of one-on-one coaching spots. And I'm going to ask you to do the stuff that I ask you to do in my group work anyway. Um, and so, yeah, join along in one of our group programs and then we'll get to know each other. And then if you need more really personalized advice, then we can talk about
0: going into a more of a coaching relationship. I love that you have the Salon Profit project because especially right now as we move into this new COVID era that it's gonna be so imperative right now that we really know our numbers and Trust me when I tell you Kaylee knows numbers and she makes them really fun and it makes it so much more exciting. And so I lo- I watched you train on the salon owner mastermind and I thought, wow, what a powerhouse this woman is. So definitely get involved with her salon profit project and definitely join our leadership masterminds we do on Monday yeah. nights. It's a lot of fun it's for awesome. sure. You get more of this for sure. So Kaylee, uh, what last piece of advice do you want to give everyone on being coachable and why they need to be coachable to be successful? Um,
1: you just, we need to learn from others. So you need to be open. Uh, we don't have all the answers. We need to seek somebody who's gone before you, who's living the life that you want to live. Um, and that's just been my pattern all the way along. Um, you know, at one point I realized I was doing a lot of competition work And I was in the hotel in Berlin with my my boss, who was a drill sergeant, and she wouldn't let me go out and travel the city. She wanted me to keep doing my blow dry. And I just thought to myself, I'm like, do I really need to be the best blow dryer in the world? Like, is that my (laughs) life mission is to do the best blow dry And that's when I retired my competition work, because I just realized that actually that doesn't line up with my mission. And she was upset because we had done world competitions together and she had me as her protege and, you know, what I was going to become. And I just had this realization that that didn't align with my deeper purpose. So um, find you will be coachable when you find that person who is living the way you want to live and you'll respect them. So if you're in a, if you're in a job where you don't respect the boss and you know, maybe you need to find, seek out that person that you do want to be like, there needs to be something in them that you're wanting to learn from them in order for you to be coachable. So I find that right mentor, find that right coach. I'm always on, I have a coach. I'm always on the radar for my next coach. I my last coach I picked because I was like, she did a talk. She looked so radiant and peaceful. And she shared with us that she had two businesses and three kids. And I'm like, I have one business and two kids and I'm not that calm. (laughs) So she's going to be my next coach.
0: (laughs) So good. So,
1: you know, find someone you can learn something Mm -hmm. um, and be open to what they're telling you because they're going to ask you to do something different, right? That's the only way you're going to change. So, and that's going to just get you to see further. And then when you see further, you're going to redo that process all over again.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree with you, Kayla. You are definitely amazing. So thank you so much for being on this podcast. And and I love you very much. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to send us your stories of transformation through www.tinablack.net. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to give it a rating and subscribe. See you next time.